0: Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday message podcast and on this episode our senior pastor Perry Duggar is back And we are continuing in our series on Galatians If you would like to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship You can do all that on our website and on our Brookwood Church app We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ
1: freedom you know anything about that give it to me now Noah all right that was good Noah stay out there a while I might you might some of these people might start having a heartbeat do you know anything about freedom Not freedom to do anything you want, freedom to deny yourself and follow Christ. That's freedom. The need to to do what your flesh wants, that's not freedom, that's slavery. And we're talking about that today. We continue our survey of Galatians called living free. Now, I know for you English professors, it should have been living freely. I know the adverb form. But in our culture, the vernacular, we would just say living free. And today's message is entitled Spiritual Slavery. Now, let me say this. I don't, I don't use this word slavery carelessly. I think it's a, it's a tragic, shameful era in our nation's history. It's surprising that Christians stood by and let that happen. But Paul uses this term, so I don't use it disrespectfully or carelessly, but I'm using it because Paul is using it. And this word should elicit deep emotion in us, both in association with our national history, but particularly here in association with how we relate to Christ. So let's begin with a verse from last last week. Mark Taylor dealt with this passage. And so we begin with Mark, I mean with Galatians chapter four, verse seven. It's on your outline. We are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Do you know the significance of that? And since you are his child, God has made you, His heir, what is it to be a child? I I experienced that again. I have a new child this week. You see a picture of my new child. He's kind of hidden there by his brother, but there he is, and uh, I think he looks like me, but it's because he looks like the Michelin man, and as I age, I'm looking more and more like him as well. Or the Pillsbury Doughboy. But so there he is. And by faith, these Galatians had become children of God. But heirs of God. In fact, the scripture says in Romans 8, co-heirs with Jesus. Now being an heir means you're going to what? You're inheriting something. Well, the scripture's saying you are going to inherit what Jesus has. Do you believe that? You have access to not only the blessings, but also the relationship with God that Jesus enjoys. However, these Gentiles came under the influence of some false teachers who were called what? Judaizers. And these Judaizers persuaded them that you Gentiles, you've been outside of God, outside of God's word, and now you've been invited in, but first you have to become Jews in order to really know God. So you need to be circumcised and you need to, with all other Christians, you have to obey the law. The Jews who came to faith in Christ had to keep obeying the law. The Gentiles had to be circumcised, become Jewish, and they needed to obey the law. So you have to keep all the rules, all the regulations, all the rituals, all the ceremonies if you want to be righteous before God. Does that sound reasonable? Sound reasonable to you? Well, yeah, it does. Sometimes, yeah, I've been away too long. Y'all get all spiritualized while I'm not here. It sounds very reasonable. You know how I know? The last time something unfortunate or worse, something tragic happened in your life, did your mind go to, what have I done? What caused this? Anybody thought that? Let me see some hands. That's law. That's legalism. That's not knowing who you are in Christ. So if you had that twinge of what did I not do? What did I fail? What did his parent do? You know, my little baby, Truett, had to go to NICU. And oh boy. It, it unsettled us all. But we didn't say, what have we done that caused this baby to have problems? Because you know what? We don't know what caused it, but it wasn't about us. And it wasn't about God saying, you didn't do this, or his mother didn't do this, or his father didn't do this, or his grandfather or his grandmother failed to do something. It isn't about that. Now this child has been released. He's been home now for a couple of days. So it was just a, overnight. But, but look how quickly all of us have these, these shreds of legalism that we even think is spiritual. Surprisingly, these Gentiles, these, these Galatians... Understood their identity, but, but, but they were abandoning this identity. They'd been adopted. They'd been fully forgiven. They had become children of God. Though they were outside of the covenant, they were invited into the covenant. And despite that, they have reverted from knowing God, from being close to him, from being able to crawl into his lap, to relating to God through a formal set of believers of behaviors like some of you. You know, my little boy, my little grandson, new grandson, he doesn't know my name. He hadn't done anything nice for me. He doesn't produce anything. Well, he, well, he does. He eats, he sleeps, he produces some need to be changed. So that's his whole contribution. He didn't respect me, he didn't love me, he didn't know even know me. So why do I love him so deeply that it hurts me so deeply when he had to be hooked up to the IVs and all that? That's the way God loves you. And Jay... That's the way God loves you. You deserve it? Do you think you deserve it? You don't deserve it at all. And still you have it. And you too. You too, Summer. That's what grace means. That's liberty. But these people were abandoning their liberty and regressing into bondage. To rules. Now, okay, y'all are saying, well, how is this relevant? I mean, you know, I've had to listen to JC and Mark and David. How does this apply to me? Well, here's how it applies. Because some of us are also unbeknownst to us, and we're not aware of it too much, but we're relying on our own actions to make us right with God. Same thing. And these might be religious actions. I go to church so God will be more pleased with me. I walk, I've walked the aisle so I could be saved. I've prayed this prayer. I've wept at the altar. I've, I've go through baptism. I've participated in the Lord's Supper. I've given money. I've, I've served to please God. Do any of those things please God? Come on, y'all. Well, yeah, they please God. Sure, they please God. They're all good practices. And they all should be part of the way we live out our faith. But none of them cause us to be saved. However, they might be indications that we are saved. If you don't have any of these indications, you ought to be asking yourself some questions and asking God's Spirit some questions. We're saved only by God's work of grace, which initiates a personal relationship with Him through the sacrifice of Jesus and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. You know what faith is? Who knows? Who's who's bold today? Who's brave, ready to throw their answer out there? It is trust, but it's trusted in what? What, Michael? Oh, that was a clever way of answering. <laughs> it's trusting that Jesus dying is sufficient to wipe away your sin. That is faith. You don't have any control over it. You're dependent. See, faith is belief, it is trust. In fact, those are the same Greek word. It's saying, I can't do a thing about it, I can't contribute to it. I'm believing that what Jesus did is benefiting me, and it's sufficient. For my sins to be wiped away. That's all of faith. Now you get in this mumbo jumbo. If I exert enough faith God will do this. If I do. No you can't manipulate God. You relate to God by grace. Which is unmerited favor. Which means you don't deserve it. See, the performance of good works and, and, and the giving generously, they're expressions of faith. They're expressions of appreciation for what Jesus has done, but they're not conditions for faith. Very different. Faith without works is dead, yes, because it means you probably lack faith. Initially, but it's not a condition of faith. You understand? Everybody tracking with me here. Now, I don't think in our culture, many of us are in danger of seeking God's approval by giving and serving him more. I mean, we could really use a little more of that, quite honestly, but not for that motivation. But we're in danger, like these Galatians, of devising our own own unbiblical means of salvation in evangelical christianity particularly southern evangelical christianity it com- is comprised of walking the aisle praying a prayer being baptized some of those things and all of those things are good none of those things effect salvation You hear me? Though they may be expressions of salvation. Everybody tracking with me, right? So we begin to look and consider Paul's one first warning against returning to spiritual slavery. We're in Galatians chapter 4. And we are on page 490. 490 of the B-A-B, the Bible available at Brookwood. <laughs> so we're reverting, the danger is reverting from freedom to rule keeping. And we begin at verse eight. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves of the so-called gods that do not even exist. First Corinthians ten twenty says they're actually demonic spirits. So if you're not related to, to the one God, you're worshiping demonic spirits. You're serving demonic spirits. So now that you know God, but look at this parentheses, or should I say now that God knows you, which one's more important? Do you even know what that means? It isn't as important that you know God at some level as it is that God knows you. And see, what's implied here, really stronger than implied, is that there's a two-way personal relationship. Because, see, you can have a lot of correct information about someone. Someone who doesn't know you at all. It amazes me this day that we live in where people are so interested in the life of some performer. And that People magazine, they still publish that, don't they? Do you know? You think they do? Well, you can read everything. You can know their dog's name. You can know know all about them. They don't know you. And they wouldn't let you come within a thousand feet of them. But I know, you know, I mean, surprisingly, I know all about lots of 70s rock bands. I know where they were born, who they played with, who they got mad with, who they met, I mean, all that. I know lots about lots of, of athletes. They don't know me. I don't register with them, even though my information's correct. That's the way far too many of us know God. We have some correct information We don't have personal intimacy. You feel the difference? Your information is not incorrect. You're not saved by information. You're saved by the regenerating power of whom? Who? No, but specifically, not Jesus. The Holy Spirit Spirit regenerates. It's the action of Jesus. It's the regeneration of the Spirit. See? See? He continues at Galatians 4, verse 9. Why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Now, the word slaves is a Greek word, dulio, and it, it means t- literally to be a slave to, to be in bondage to, to serve. And so what he's saying Is you're either doing this humanly or it's being done to you spiritually. See the difference? So the principles of this world is you doing some stuff, even doing some good things, but it's physical, it's fleshly, it's practical, it's good, it doesn't yield salvation. the Spirit of God regenerating us. It's completely different. So these people are in danger of forfeiting the fact that they have this personal relationship with God. He has has chosen and adopted them. Wasn't that a wonderful song Brad sang? And instead, they've decided to relate to him through rule-keeping and rituals. the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world includes this idea that we have to work and earn something ourselves, right? I mean, doesn't that feel natural? Does it feel natural that you could be saved by God's grace? What do you think, Hatham? We know where you came from. Does that feel natural, feel right? It didn't before, did it? Working For it, deserving it, feels right, humanly. That's why every cult advocates works righteousness. Because humanly, that feels right. You have to do this. But grace is unmerited favor. It's receiving not what you deserve. It's receiving what you don't deserve it's forgiveness of sin it's acceptance by god it's adoption into a family this grandchild of mine just he didn't do anything he just got pulled out into a family that loved him a mother and father grandparents that would die for him that you see what i'm saying That's the same way you were adopted. It's the same thing. Verse 10, you are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. That's all part of the law of Moses. Well, why all these laws? You wonder that? Anybody wondering that? Why? Come on, anybody wondering this? Lord, y'all got to wake up out here. I'm going to keep y'all all day. These practices were object lessons that taught Jews about God, about sin, about redemption, and also trained them for relationship with God. Look at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. But requiring believers, Christians to follow these Old Testament laws to obtain righteousness actually discredits, undervalues the gospel of justification by faith alone, which means I'm saved by trusting Jesus. And it greatly concerned Paul. And he said at verse 11, I fear for you perhaps all my hard work for you was for nothing it seems that that Paul had wasted his time and his effort with these people cuz they were forsaken the most important issue that he had taught them verse 12 Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from these laws. Now, Paul was a zealous rule keeper, law keeper. Look at Philippians 3 on the screen. Or you can turn there if you want to. It's it's at page 948. I was a member of the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in the miracles. They believed in the resurrection. They valued the law of God. In fact, they memorized the first five books who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. See, he was so concerned that things be be done rightly that he attacked these people who were exercising this freedom from the law. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. You think that's true? Yeah. Next next screen. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done, and I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Or you could say dependence on Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Now, Paul writing in Romans 5.20 says the purpose of the law was to expose sin. Now listen to this closely. Which it did by making them aware of just how precise God's expectations on them were which revealed to them that people cannot become righteous through their own efforts because they will not cannot behave perfectly you said well Paul seemed to do pretty well at that yeah but then remember what Jesus said he actually moved the law from just obeying the out and outward behavior. He said it's not just action, it's also attitude. And suddenly everyone's guilty. So it's, it's helpful to see the law to understand God's expectations. You know, they're pulling the Ten Commandments out of the schools, out of the courthouses, all that. Do you think it's important that we obey the Ten Commandments? What do you think? You have to say something? Yes. Do you think that we satisfy God by obeying the Ten Commandments? No. So, it's kind of both ends. See, no one's saved by the Ten Commandments. No one's lost by pulling those things off the walls. But here's the point. The expectations of God are on display. And so what we're seeing in our culture is an attempt to scrub every evidence of the existence of God out of our culture. People aren't saved by the Ten Commandments. However, they can become aware that there is a God who has expectations. So their their goal is to... Scrub every instance of God out. I've just read some, there's legislation where some churches are, I mean, some schools, Christian schools are being attacked because they, they're not embracing homosexual lifestyle. It's a violation of Title IX and all this kind of stuff. But what they would love to do is shut down the Christian message in the culture. But let me tell you this. They can't shut down the Spirit of God. I believe, now remember when it's me, you can do whatever you want with it. I believe there are just as many Christians today as there ever has been and maybe more. Because the church isn't dependent on the culture's support. Look at the first century. The church does better when the culture opposes it. So we don't, we're not fretting over that, but we ought to be praying that God's spirit becomes more apparent and present and obvious. You see my point? Now, Jesus didn't abolish the law. But Paul said the law, but the law was holy, righteous, and good. So the law's not bad. And Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. He came to what? He satisfied it. He fulfilled it. Filled it. You know, we're, we'll get pretty close again where the IRS gets interested in all of us. And the IRS will be interested in receiving something from me. That's the law. Now, if old Larry, Larry's rich, and if I said, Larry, here's my Social Security number. How about you paying my bill? And Larry, who's generous and rich, said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that for you. And if he sent in the check, would they receive it? Would they? Well, yeah. And Larry would have fulfilled the law for me. He didn't invalidate it. He satisfied it. So the expectations, the demands of God are still there. But if you're in Christ, they've all been satisfied. And that's how God can look at you and he sees perfection. That's justification. But this doesn't mean that we disregard, we disobey the guidelines. It means that our salvation isn't judged by how completely we comply with those directions. In fact, we're called to obey what the Bible teaches. But not out of fear of judgment, not out of desire to be uh, justified. We obey the law out of what motivation? Out of love. Out of love for the giver of the guidelines. How many of you you are married? Did anybody change their behavior after they got married? We have some newlyweds here. Did Did either of you change your behavior? Well, was, was it because you feared sleeping in the doghouse? <laughs> no, it's, it's out of love, you see. We alter our behavior, not out of fear, out of love. And look how much stronger motivation love is than fear. We all got married and, you know, some of us had to quit hanging up our underwear on the floor and, Some of us get to sleep downstairs because we snore and we're married to someone who doesn't sleep as well. And we do these things motivated by love, not by law, not by fear, not because we're concerned about the punishment, the rejection, the mistreatment. Look at 1 John 5. This is the CEV. Translation, I like this one best. I think it says it best. We show our love for God by obeying his commands. And they're not hard to follow. You know what I'm saying? You fell in love with somebody. You changed your behavior, didn't you? And it wasn't hard to alter those things. Because that relationship means so much more than hanging up your underwear on the floor. Or you fill in the blank. Does Jesus still love us when we sin? Come on. I think, now hold on to your chair. I think he loves us especially when we sin. Now be careful. Think it through. But we show our love for him by respecting, by honoring, by obeying him. You see? So here, I some hands here. Have you experienced God showing his love to you? I want to see some hands. You know what that feels like. Okay, here's the other question. But do you show your love to him? That's a different question, isn't it? You've experienced his love for you, but what about your love for him? Paul next goes to warning against returning to spiritual slavery by rejecting the messenger of grace. Verse 12, the latter part of verse 12. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I brought you the good news, when I first brought you the good news. Paul was either sick in Galatia or he became sick and he went to Galatia to recuperate. There was a better climate than where he'd been traveling in the swampy lower area. And while he was there, he preached to these Gentiles in Galatia and they responded. You know, a lot of times God will use even a tragic or a painful situation in our lives to put us in a place so we can carry out the plan he's formed for us. And yet we get all mad, don't we? Something's happened here. You know, I'm in the hospital, yeah? And it may be because that guy in the next bed needs to hear from you. Verse 14, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you you took me in and you you cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Now, we're not sure of the exact nature of the illness. I, I have an opinion. I'll give you some evidence. But it appears that this illness could have caused them to reject him. Now, Was it because he was contagious? You think it was because he was contagious? No, because he preached in close proximity to him. Look in Acts 13 and 14 while he was there. Was it because his appearance was repulsive and his symptoms were disgusting? Perhaps, but I don't think so. But there was some other reason. I wonder what else is possible. Well, during the time of this writing, illness was believed to be caused by who? Well, by God, really. And it was judgment from God for sin. Job 8, verse 4, John 9, you know that. Who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin that he's born blind? But surprisingly, these people accepted Paul as God's messenger, though there was something seriously wrong with him. They listened carefully to what he taught, and they responded. But now their attitude has changed. It's verse 15. And he asked, really bewildered, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then. And then he continues. I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Because of that verse, I think Paul has some type of eye condition. It might've altered his appearance. It certainly affected his vision. It may have been that he contracted malaria and malaria can attack the optic nerve, but it might be, again, it's, it's might, it might be the after effects of Paul being struck blind on the Damascus road with a corneal abrasion from the blinding light but see, some of us think, oh, no, but if God's in it, we're perfectly healthy. Nothing like that could ever happen. Do you, does that sound right? If God's involved and he's using me and he's doing something, then there could be no other issues. Well, I remember Jacob limping all the rest of his days after he encountered Christ. Now, this is what I believe. You think about it. You pray about it. I believe God will wound your body to save your soul. We're the ones that are clinging so desperately to this physical health and longevity on this earth. Not him. Not him. Other evidences includes the fact that here in this same book, on, in chapter 6, verse 11, just use um. Most of your Bibles on the other pages. And look, it's in all capitals in this one. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Also, if you, if you, you may be aware, Paul dictated many of his letters. And someone else, like a secretary, and am, amunusis, wrote it down. But in many of these letters, he would write a postscript of greeting in his own hand. He says, so you'll know it's me writing. And you can find that in Romans, Corinthians, Colossians, Thessalonians. And a funny story, and and a dozen years later, like 59 AD, he was in Israel, and the the high priest instructed someone to slap Paul for his disrespect. And, And Paul, you know, shouted back, you know, and he said, you know, may God, may God slap you back, essentially. May God punish you for this. And someone said, you can't say that to the high priest. And Paul says, well, I didn't know it was the high priest. He said, I know you're not supposed to speak like that to the authorities that are given by God. But he didn't recognize him. Though as a Pharisee would have known him. Acts 23. Perhaps, perhaps this was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul had great revelations from God. But to keep him from becoming vain, he was afflicted. So that he would depend not on Paul and his wonderful revelations, but on Christ who shows mercy. And you know what? For some of us, God may weaken you so he can use you greatly without you grabbing on to the credit. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 9. And so he asked it, Galatians 4, 16, Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Anybody think he's in emotional pain here? Well, yeah, he's in emotion. You think he is, Jane? The very people Paul loved and he led to faith and he had nurtured their faith had now abandoned his teaching and rejected him personally because they didn't want to be confronted by him. You know, have you noticed that it often happens that the messenger is rejected along with his message? In our culture, we see it, boy, it's just rising. People are attacked when their opinions Aren't accepted. This this what you know? Years ago, this wasn't you didn't see this as much. Today, the modus operandi is if someone disagrees with you, not only do you say I disagree, you attack them personally and you sling all kinds of slur slurs at them. And our culture, Christians are being criticized. They're being rejected personally and even attacked. Because their biblical beliefs, our biblical beliefs regarding premarital sex, regarding homosexual practice, regarding abortion are being rejected and we're being rejected along with it. But you must stand. You say, but I might be rejected. That's yes. Yes. I had a situation like this with someone that I've known for many years. And I was confronting an issue. And another friend said, aren't you concerned about what this will do to the relationship? And I said, I'm concerned about the relationship. But this person determines whether we have a relationship. I have to communicate this truth. And it's not just pastors. It's every one of us in whom God has placed his message. We can't step away from it. But we humbly, meekly say it. But do realize you might be rejected. And you may be rejected strongly. Not just your message, but you personally. Warning against returning to spiritual slavery also by receptivity to manipulation. Verse 17. Those false teachers who are so eager to win your favor are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. You see the manipulation. They've been currying the favor and they'd been praising the galatians and saying how much they cared about them and and how they were going to lead them to spiritual maturity but their true motivation wasn't to help the galatians it was to get the galatians to follow them because they wanted to form this exclusive group of people who observed jewish laws who accepted their opinions without question and and for whom they were the authorities and one mark of false teachers is anytime someone is trying to attract people to themselves personally and not to the truth of Christ or the, or the truth of the Scripture. So we have to be aware anytime a, a religious teacher, speaker, writer asserts that, that he or she alone is right. And you need to be coming to me. You know what? God used a jackass to speak his word. And I'm proof that that'll work every Sunday. But when I'm gone, when I'm gone and I'm away on sabbatical study and and David and JC and Josh and Mark and Mike and all these guys preach, you know what, Gene, it it doesn't matter who's preaching. What matters is the word of God going forth. You may prefer to hear it from Gene or one of the other guys. That's okay. You may favor one person out. But the issue is the Word of God going forth. Because it's the Word and the Spirit that changes our lives. It's not any personality. And the task of any spiritual leader is to encourage people to love and to follow Christ. Not to love and to follow me. Verse 19, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I am going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in you. Paul has emotional feelings of anguish for these Galatians. And, you know, some of you right now have children who are in rebellion, who are away from God, and you understand what he feels because They've been taught. The truth has been demonstrated. And now they're off on a path. You have to keep challenging, but you have to keep praying. Stop saying, oh, I know they're saved. No, you say, do you know the Lord? Do you want to walk with him? Why not? He sees these people not growing. And he realized they almost need to be birthed again. Galatians 4.20, and he closes with this. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. He wants to be more gentle. He could be in person, but he just feels the need to to rebuke this thinking, to correct it. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Where are you today? If you just stop and ask the Spirit to show you but just in the last last year, are you moving forward into the freedom of loving Christ and following Him? Are you moving backward into the bondage of outward behaviors, or the slavery of sinful practices? counselors will be here at the front if you want to talk with someone about any of these matters i've brought up but better the ones that the lord's brought up to you during this time together today they'll pray with you they'll anoint you with oil for healing they'll talk with you as long as you want so counselors you come father we thank you for this word but by your spirit speak to us your truth for each of us personally in christ's name we pray amen thank you for coming
0: Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with Christians at Brookwood, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.